about time somebody set this microphone at the right height. Are you ready to go, Cy? Good evening. Uh, turn number 462, if you will. Chad Judge will have our um, reading and prayer in just a few minutes. Thomas will have the closing prayer. And Chris will be delivering the lesson. We're going to sing all four verses, uh, 462. So if you will, stand and let's sing. <clears throat> oh, for a faith that will not shrink, though pressed by every foe, that will not tremble on the brink of any earthly woe. Songs number 531. <clears throat> 531. Sing the 1st, 2nd, and 4th verses of Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, ye hands adore him. Praise him, angels in the high.
scripture reading tonight comes from the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said, he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like the little children will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you now thanking you for this day that you've given us, this time that we've had to come to, to worship you and to sing praises to you and to, to hear more about your word. Father, we do thank you for all the many blessings that you've given us. We thank you for the building and all the, the friends that we have that, that come here. Father, we do pray that you'll be with the ones that are sick, the ones that were mentioned this morning, that you will continue to be with them and, and strengthen them. Father, we do pray for the ones that have lost loved ones. Uh, we pray for the Edwards family that you'll continue to be with them, strengthen and, and put your loving arms around them in this time. Father, we thank you for Chris and the message that he had this morning, and Father, we pray the message tonight that we will take it and apply it to our lives, that we can become better Christians for you. Father, we thank you for all that you do for us, and we thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. A stand is turn number 581, 581. <clears throat> Let's stand and... I'm sorry, I mumbled that. <laughs> Song of Invitation is going to be 744, in case you're using a book. 581, sing on. We're going to sing first and third verses of this song. <clears throat> sing on, ye joyful pilgrims, nor think the moment. Ha! 
49. We're looking there toward the end of the chapter. In verse 49, that's our, that's our key text. It says, for everyone will be salted with fire. And so what does that mean? Where are we going to go with that? Well, you got to back up a little bit. you got to grab some context. As we do in these lessons, we're just using these, these little snippets, these short, short um, statements in Scripture to kind of talk about something to do with evangelism. This year, obviously, our theme is evangelism, so we're trying to focus on, on that topic. And using some of these short verses, we're able to, to talk about some of the topics that we might not otherwise get to. And so this is one of those instances where we start off with a very short verse, for everyone will be salted with fire. And then we got to go grab and go back and grab the context. And so what's what's really going on here? Well, back up uh, to verse 42. He says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to quench, or it's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. To the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where the worm never where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Mark is all about Jesus taking the kingdom back from the Pharisees. Before we get too much farther into the text, before we start explaining the text, we've got to understand what this book's about. And Jesus is all about, in Mark, all about taking the kingdom back from the Pharisees. He's having to wrench it out of their hands. The Pharisees are big proponents of making up rules and making other people obey them. That's what they like to do, and that's what they're doing in God's kingdom now. And they've actually stolen the throne from, from God. And Jesus said he came to steal it back. He's taken the authority back away from the Pharisees, and he's giving it back to, back to God. And so that's what he's come to do here. But even amongst his own disciples, you find even them, even the ones who are supposed to be listening, keyed in, tuned in specifically into into him and are aware, painfully aware, that the Pharisees have made up these rules and they're making other people follow them. Jesus would say about these rules uh, that you, you swallow a camel and you strain a gnat, right? You, the rules that you're in, enforcing, not even you can, can obey them. <coughs> Excuse me. And so... The disciples are painfully aware that the, that, the, uh, that the Pharisees have stolen God's kingdom. And now Jesus is saying he's here to return it back to the Father. But even the disciples don't get it. Even they still want control of their lives. And that's a problem we deal with too, isn't it? Wanting to have control of our lives. Look back up to the verses right above this. Um, they're going to have an argument in verse 33. Mark 9, verse 33, they're going to start arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says, you guys really don't get it, do you? The greatest in the kingdom is the greatest servant. It's not the one who's got the most power. It's the one who's got the biggest towel. This is the one, uh, the one that you want to be is the one who walks into every situation saying, 
How can I help here? What can I do here? How can I serve here? It's not the one who's taking control of the room. It's not the loudest one in the room. You guys have missed the point. It's the one who's the greatest servant. That's the one who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And then you skip down to uh, verse 38 or so. They find a guy who is casting out demons. And they say, listen, you got to stop that stuff. You're not one of the 12. you got to stop casting out demons. And Jesus is like, what? Why? If somebody wants to cast out a demon, you let them. <laughs> if, if he's saying good things and doing good things in my name, you don't, don't stop them. We've got enough enemies. We don't need to start shooting arrows at our friends. Skip down even past our passage tonight in, uh, in Mark 9. And skip down to, verse, or to chapter 10 to the passage that Chad read for you this evening in verse 13. Uh, some little kids are coming to Jesus, and the disciples say, No, no, you guys, you have to stay back over there. The master's in, he's busy, he's important, he's over here teaching. He doesn't have time for these little kids. And what does Jesus say? You guys think you know what's best, and you just don't. You miss the boat. You're misunderstanding some stuff. If a guy over there wants to cast out demons, you let him, because demons are bad, <laughs> Right? This this is nonsensical that he would have to approach it like this. But this passage trips us up sometimes too, doesn't it? We struggle with that passage too, don't we? Because we try to make it say some things that it doesn't necessarily say. So we can see where they're coming from, even if it makes us a little uncomfortable and we don't really like aligning ourselves with them. We kind of see where where they're coming from. But he says, listen, if, if this guy wants to cast out demons... You go, you go let them. You don't, you don't stop them. <coughs> and if young, impressionable minds want to come to the greatest teacher on earth, you let them. These are the people that need to be around Jesus. If they want to be around him, you let them. If people, not just children, but anyone wants to be around Jesus, you let them. And he's kind of like, are you guys crazy? This is, this is one of the things that we do. We cast out demons. Of course, we don't want this demon possessing this person if this guy wants to cast it out go ahead let him do it and if and if kids want to come close to me and they want to listen to me and they want to they want to uh, have interactions with me a relationship with me awesome i wish that everyone would do that right the disciples weren't to use a term that we use this morning on brand they they weren't catching his vision as a matter of fact the way mark would probably phrase this was they wanted to lead they didn't want to submit. And you see it kind of clearly here as you start looking for it in Mark's gospel throughout, throughout the entire gospel, but especially here in this, in this little section as we just outlined it for you. You begin to see the disciples, even the disciples, the ones who should have known better, look at Jesus and say, we have ideas that we think are right and we're we're going to need you to line up with those ideas. So, like, there's this guy that's casting on demons. We told him, you got to stop that stuff because he's not one of us. Let him do it. Uh, oh, and these, these little kids that are coming to you, we know, we're, we know you're too busy to, to deal with them, so we told him to stop. These guys, the disciples, had ideas that Jesus didn't have. You know what that's called? Rebellion. They wanted to be in charge. And Jesus said, newsflash guys, newsflash Pharisees, you're not in charge. I am. This is my kingdom, and I came to take it back from you. Your job here is not to lead. Your job is to follow. 
And you say yes. You submit. So that's what, that's what we're dealing with here in Mark chapter 9. This whole idea that Jesus is, is wrenching the kingdom out of everyone's hands. It's not just the Pharisees. That, that ideology... That kind of mindset has filtered its way down even to the disciples. And Jesus finds himself here in Mark 9 and 10 fighting against his own band for control. They don't want to give it up, but he says, if you want to be mine, you got to give it up. Let me give you a little bit of background on this passage. <coughs> Titus and Abby probably don't remember this picture. It's taken several years ago. He does. Um, we were at PTP, and we went to, uh, I think it was Cade's Cove, and they had this little area we could get out and walk around. You know there were bears there? I don't know why you were going to want to get out and walk around, but we did. Um, and there are millstones there. If you've never seen an actual millstone, these things are cool. So I took a picture of them. Um, they're huge, and these are some small ones, apparently. They're, they come uh, quite large. And Jesus said, that if you want to cause one of these little ones to stumble, little ones would, would mean children that he's talking about later. He's going to use that term to refer to them as well. But he also uses it, in, I think in this instance, to refer to the man who's casting out demons, the ones who are young in their faith, which is it's kind of everyone at this point. But these ones who are, have this burgeoning faith, if you want to cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for this thing to be tied around your neck and you'd be thrown out into the great lake. Be better to die like that than to trip up someone. This whole, uh, if you if you're still got your Bible open to, to Mark nine, um, you, you notice the the hand, the foot, the eye. If, if these things cause you to sin, then it's better to do without those things, right? You do everything in your power, including crippling yourself. Any sacrifice, no sacrifice is too small to keep you out of hell. That's, that's really what he's saying here. Whatever you have to do to stay away from this place, you do it. And you don't have any regrets. You don't look back. You do it. And you do it happily. Because hell is a place that you want to stay away from at all costs. This, uh, this bit about the worm toward the end of, of the passage here. Uh, and that it does, it does not die. He's quoting Isaiah. Mark likes Isaiah. He's going to quote him several times, especially in chapter 1. But he, he seems to, to really focus on Isaiah. This is from Isaiah chapter 66, verses 22 through 24. He's quoting that verse when he, when he talks about the worm. Isaiah 2 is talking about the end of time. He's picturing a battlefield in which all the ones who have rebelled against God, all the ones who thought that they could lead and didn't want to submit... Those people have been killed. And in the, in the battle, here's how the battle ends. God wins. Newsflash again, right? God wins every battle he fights. And in this battle, he will win. And Isaiah pictures this battle. All the people that have thought that they could lead when they needed to submit. All these people who were rebels against God. He says those people, they've been annihilated. They've been slaughtered. And he pictures them dead and bloody on, on the battlefield. God has conquered all of his enemies. He's subdued them. The ones who refused to submit were, were punished. 
Mark is saying the exact same thing here in, in chapter 9. Those who refuse to submit to God will be eternally punished in hell. This section of Mark calls back to the previous section. Look over in Mark chapter 8. This is a verse I know you're familiar with. It's verse 37. Mark chapter 8, verse 37. And, and this little section in Mark 9, it just reminds me so much of, of what's going on in Mark 8, 37. Now, Jesus is speaking to the crowd here. He calls his disciples to him. And he has that famous verse and uh, famous um, phrase in, thir- in chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Here, here's the point I really want to get to in verse 37. For what can a man give in return for his soul? That's, that question is answered here in Mark chapter 9, 42 through 50. What can you trade for your soul? Well, you could trade you being in charge. And, and a lot of people have and a lot of people will and a lot of people are currently making that trade. You being in charge. You, you get to say how your life's going to run. You get to make your own decisions. You get to do whatever you want. You get to think however you want to think. And you get to do whatever you want to do. But it's going to cost you your soul. That's a bad trade. If you're a sports fan, back in 1966, the Yankees traded Roger Maris. You may know that name even if you're not a sports fan because um, Aaron Judge broke his record. The home run record this year was broken by another Yankee, Aaron Judge. It took, what, 60 years, 80 years? Somebody do the math there for me. 70, 80 years to break that record, right? They traded him for somebody whose name I don't even know. And you wouldn't know it either because he's a nobody. He didn't do anything else in the game. But the Yankees traded this amazing Hall of Famer. For somebody whose name you'll never remember. It's a bad trade. You can trade your soul for control of your life right now. It's a bad trade. And it'll cost you eternity. Don't fall for that lie. Don't buy into that. Let's talk a little bit about hell. This is not a fun topic. Um, I've been uh, planning on this topic. I put this last because I don't, I don't, I don't like talking about hell. Um, Jesus did talk quite a bit about hell, though, so we're going to talk about it tonight. In fact, out of all the, the, uh, the biblical people, Jesus talks about it more than anybody else. You'd think it might be Paul, wouldn't you? But it's Jesus talks about hell more than, more than anyone else, and so it is a topic that we have to cover. And so tonight we're going to cover it for a little bit. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. And this is not the only passage that says this. This is just the only one. Uh, that we're going to reference tonight. But hell is a literal, real place. This is is a real place. I I don't know how else to be more clear about that. This place exists. And if we do not submit to him, we will find ourselves there for eternity. But it was not prepared for us. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. He says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. We kind of, again, enter into the midst of a a logical thought there, but really all I want you to see here is hell was created for Satan and his angels. It was not created for you. 
wasn't created for humans, but we will find ourselves there if we don't submit. It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Nobody likes to think or talk about hell, but I think it's necessary that on occasion we stop and just try to wrap our minds around what this place is going to be like. I think that's one of the reasons Jesus talked about it so much because he wanted you to leave with this impression of hell is, is terrible. It's unfathomably awful. And I'm going to do everything in my power to stay away from it. Let me point you to a couple other verses and a couple other thoughts though before we leave this, this train. Hell is eternal. Um, go ahead and flip over to Matthew 25. If you've got your Bibles open, Matthew 25, we're going to look in verses 41 through 46. Uh, several years ago, maybe 10 or 12 years ago now, a pastor by the name of Rob Bell wrote this book called Love Wins. You may have heard of it, or, or maybe you've even read it. Uh, Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle uh, wrote a book in, um, to rebut Love Wins. Uh, I think it's called Hell is Real. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but in the book Love Wins, Rob Bell espouses this idea uh, that as you die, uh, if you were destined for hell, if you were, if you were going to be exiled to hell, then your soul is just annihilated. It, doesn't, it ceases to exist. And that's just not what I find in Scripture. I think he's come up with a comforting idea because a lot of our world... And a lot of our world historically are going to find themselves in hell. That's what Jesus says, right, in Matthew 7. Wide's the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow's the way that leads to life. So a lot of people are going to be there. And so it's comforting for us to think of, oh, well, our souls would just be annihilated. But that's not what I find in the Bible. I have to say what the Bible says, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard. I don't want to lie to myself, and I certainly don't want to lie to you. Because the ramifications of lying about hell too serious. If I gave you false comfort, and you ended up in hell, it's unthinkable. I think he's wrong. I think scripture, and I hope you see it too, teaches against this idea that your soul is annihilated. It does not teach that. It says that there will be eternity. This is what he says. Then he will say to those on his left, he's already talked to those who are on his right, and he's, he's, he's welcomed them into, uh, into his rest. But to the ones on his left, he says, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There, there it is again. It's not prepared for you and I. But we'll, we'll find ourselves there if we're not saved, if we're not willing to submit. Verse 42, he says, For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of these, one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I don't want you to miss it. Someone will point it out, although you probably already saw it. If Rob Bell's right and our souls are annihilated, and this is the passage he, 
he goes to to prove that to prove that then heaven isn't eternal either because he uses the exact same word eternal you see it in english it's it's there in greek as well he uses the exact same word to describe heaven being eternal as he does for hell being eternal these places are both eternal how we live our lives here will affect which one we go to. There's no way around it. That's what the Bible teaches. Matthew 13 teaches us one more tenet of hell. And this may be the most awful. Hell is conscious, eternal, painful suffering forever. That's what he says in verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These people that are there in hell, Jesus is, is speaking of them, right? They are aware. They are awake. And they are in agony. No way around it, right? That's, that's, what, that's what Scripture says. Hell is a place of conscious, eternal torment. He's going to use this, this metaphor of weeping and gnashing of teeth a multiplicity of times. He talks about it in Matthew 8, verse 12, when he compares the kingdom to a feast where many from all over are going to come and they're going to eat with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The other ones are cast into outer darkness. Do you remember this? This, this story, the rest are cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He uses it again in Matthew 13, just a couple verses before this one in, in verses 41 through 42, to talk about um, the tares being pulled up and thrown into the fiery furnace and, and there being weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Matthew 22, verses 11 through 13, he talks about the wedding guests who come unprepared and are cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth he also talks about in Matthew 24 44 through 51 where he talks about the wicked servant as well as the worthless servant in Matthew 25 I don't know what all these terms mean I've I've studied them quite a bit and I don't know that I understand all the ramifications of what he means by weeping and gnashing of teeth he uses it prolifically right and he never really explains it. And there are some elements of hell that are counterintuitive. So there's outer darkness, meaning like black hole kind of darkness. There's, this, this is the kind of darkness that light eats. But there's also going to be fire. Normally for us, where there's fire, there's light. But not in this place. This, this is completely different. And so there are some, some metaphors being used here that... We can't really grasp, grab a hold of completely, but what I do understand Jesus to be saying here is, and I'm sure you grab a hold of it too, is this is a place to be avoided at all costs. No matter what you have to give up to make sure you don't end up here, you do that thing and you don't look back. You never have a regret about what you have to give up so that you are not here. The thing that makes it the most terrible, though, is probably... In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
starting in uh, verse 5. Yes, it, there is pain there. Yes, you will be conscious for it if you end up in that place. Yes, it will last for an eternity, but perhaps the, the most daunting reason not to end up in this place is God is not there. We don't know what that's like here, do we? Because there's not a place where you can go, even in the back country of, of West Virginia where they pipe sunshine down. God's still there, right? Yeah, of course. We've never been to a spot on this earth where he's not, where he is absent. Uh, can you imagine the horror, the, 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 the lack of morality, the, the pain that would be there? just from his lack of presence. That's what hell's going to be like. Listen to it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. There it is, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. They're going to be cast away. That, that's, that's one of the reasons that they're in outer darkness, because they're, they're, they've been cast away. He is light, right? That's what John calls them in his epistles. God is light, and in him there is no darkness, but outside of him there's only darkness. And so the, the mental anguish that would be hell, I think would no doubt overwhelm the physical pain that those are embroiled in there. That's something to consider. The good news is hell is completely avoidable. And that's why we're speaking about it tonight in our series on the shortest verses of the Bible and what they mean about evangelism is, I want you to see hell. I want you to become vividly, vividly acquainted with it. So that every time you see someone who's not saved, that thought comes right back in your mind. And then you get out of your comfort zone and you go tell them about the saving power of Jesus. Completely avoidable. And you see that again in Mark chapter 9 with the hand, the foot, and the eye. You can avoid this place. Your family can and should avoid this place. Your neighbor can and should avoid this place. The people that you interact with on a daily basis or the person that you meet just one time in your life can and should avoid this place. But it's up to you because God has entrusted this truth and this responsibility to the church. We've been given something incredibly precious and we're so fragile. Paul would say, this treasure has been given to jars of clay. So precious a treasure has been given to us, this, this, this message of salvation. How to stay away from this place. You know it. And they need to know it. And so we tell. We go out and we preach. And we teach. 
and we get out of our comfort zones and we make sacrifices and we do this because it's the only reasonable thing to do. If someone were inside a burning uh, house and you knew they were in there, you would certainly go beat on the door, knock it down, and rescue them, right? Your friends and your neighbors and your family are in the exact same situation. We need to see it. If hell turns your stomach, good. It should. It's terrible. But it wasn't designed for us. And you can avoid it. If you're willing to submit to them, if you're willing to be baptized, immersed, to have your sins washed away, you can be saved. Paul was. The murderer who killed Christians, he came. God used him in incredible ways. So if you're thinking, oh, I've done too many things. I'm, it's too late for me. I, I've gone too far. No, not quite. You haven't gone as far as Paul has, I am sure. So tonight, if you're struggling, you need the prayers of this church. We want to do anything we can for you. If you, if you would like to be saved, we'd love to sit down and study with you. If you need the prayers of this congregation, we want to aid you in any way we can. Won't you come as we stand and sing? Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. Um, the middle school and high school devotional has been postponed. Um, just, I don't have any kids here um, have one, so it'll be the later date. Um, also, uh, don't forget about the marriage seminar at 6.30 this Monday. Um, everybody come to that. Also, next Sunday is the deacons meeting at 5 o'clock. And then uh, February the 19th will be life group 3. Um, we'll be sponsoring a game night here at the building after services um, and also bring money for pizza for that. 
Um, also, March 5th, Life Group 2, that's Gary's Life Group, will be meeting as well for a planning meeting. More information will be coming out on that soon. And also, there's some snacks and drinks that are still, uh, um, we still need for CYC. If you can sign up for that, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday, will be Young at Heart. It will be eating at Cheddar's. If you're planning on going to that, please sign up on the bulletin board. Um, also, um, I saw on Facebook that Jenna Picklesheimer, they're in Orlando right now. Um, they had a cheer competition, and a lot of them are coming back home today uh, and uh, tomorrow, so keep them in your prayers for safe travels. But out of 15 teams, uh, they came in third uh, with three ties, and they came in fourth in the nation. So that's great for uh, for small Fairland Proctorville, Ohio team coming forth in the nation. So good for those girls, and congratulations to pick to Jenna. Um, uh, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep uh, the Edwards family in your prayers uh, for uh, the passing of Monty Edwards Jr. Uh, keep that family in your prayers. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Terry Leap, Jennifer Baker, and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they go through their ca cancer treatments. And also keep Rod Dunphy as he recovers at home, and keep Jamie Estes in your prayers as well. That's all the announcements I have uh, this evening. Uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, you may do so now in the conference room. I already said we'll sing one more song, didn't I? It's, it's a given. It is, yeah. <laughs> sing one verse of Zion's Call, number 800. <clears throat> Zion's call sweetly rings over land and sea, bidding us look to realms above. While the light from the throne shines for you and me, let us listen to the call of love. Zion's call. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for letting us come here tonight to worship you and learn more about you, Lord. Please help us take what Chris said tonight and please help us apply it to our lives, Lord. Please help us get home from here safely, Lord, and please help us be more like your son. And in Jesus' name we do pray, amen. <clears throat>